Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Holders time in the Ben Jarofsky show. As I speak, it's Wednesday, July 28, 2021. The headline of my beloved bright one, Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered every day. Yes, I still pay for a newspaper, believe it or not. Return of the mask. <laughs> what a joke. Oh, my God, what a joke, Chicago. You're such a freaking joke. Return of the mask is the question mark, and it shows a bunch of people exiting a, a subway car with their masks on, and it says, subhead says, CDC says everyone should wear face coverings indoors in order in areas where COVID cases are surging, but Chicago remains in good shape. Those cities' top doc acknowledges Lollapalooza likely will lead to some cases. The reason I say you're such a joke, Chicago, is you're about to stage this huge... 400,000 people in Grand Park concert and you're going to pretend like it's not related to COVID because it's like you're all those people in the movie Jaws, which my next guest is probably too young to know, but in Jaws, they didn't want to shut down the public beaches, even though there was a shark scaring the hell out of everyone because they didn't want to scare off the tourists. So in Chicago, they don't want to move. They don't want to acknowledge that we're in the middle of a second surge because we got a rock concert to throw and uh, reefer to sell. So anyway, all right, enough for me. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. We're going to take the deep dive and all the issues of the day. Take it away, distinguished guest. Hello, uh, I'm Ben. My name is Miles camp Lassen. I am a web editor at In These Times Magazine, a uh, national left-wing uh, publication. I also freelance write for various uh, other publications and love coming on here uh, on the Ben Jarofsky show. And if I could just, I have of course seen Jaws, uh, uh, a classic film. And who was the person that was trying to uh, keep the beaches open when Jaws was out there? It was the mayor. Uh, it, 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 it was the local mayor. And who in Chicago is trying to keep Lollapalooza going? Our distinguished mayor, 
Lori Lightfoot. So a little bit, even more of a comparison there than you might think at first glance. It really is. And when you first said, who was it? I thought you were going to give me a trivia question. Like, who was the actor who played the mayor? Thank God you didn't give me that trivia question. I would have flunked it. I have a vision of the guy's face. I, I can't remember his name, but yeah, he was panicking. Can we all just not talk about the shark? Uh, yeah, no, but it's so, oh my goodness, Miles. Uh, I watched like the gymnastics, like the verbal gymnastics that uh, the chief doctor that the city has, who is it? an employee of uh, Lori Lightfoot's uh, Dr. Awadi going through to both reassure folks that there's nothing wrong with Lollapalooza uh, while also trying to get the message out <laughs> that we are in the middle of this pandemic. And <laughs> my God, God dang. Uh, it's never easy to be a doctor, but it's really not easy to be a doctor. Apparently that works for the city of Chicago. All right. Uh, Miles, uh, and this is all related to this. Uh, I was, uh, as I told you, in New York City uh, over the weekend visiting my youngest daughter. My wife and I went to New York to visit our youngest daughter. And uh, it seems as though people in New York, I told you this, take the post-post-pandemic seriously. They take seriously the fact that we're uh, not out of it yet, to put it mildly. It seemed to me more masks, I told you this, like, uh, not just in the subways where they're required, but just in restaurants and indoor facilities or indoor dining uh, rooms and stuff like that. And um, I attribute this uh, in Chicago to the fact that we have Lollapalooza and we're sending out this giant mixed message that we're not really ready to go into seriously analyze, uh, seriously confront the pandemic until Lollapalooza is over. Um I'm not sh sure you agree with me or not, but what what's your sense of where Chicago is in terms of the pandemic right now? Is, do we take it seriously? Uh, are we uh, not taking it seriously enough? What's your general sense of this? Well, I think that there's uh, much more that we'll know in uh, two, three weeks after Lollapalooza once we see uh, how... COVID rates uh, change based on the fact, as you said, we have nearly half a million people coming, many of them from out of state. And, you know, there's no enforcement of these travel advisories. So they could very easily be coming from Louisiana and other southern states where Delta is surging right now. And, you know, the concert's outside, but people are staying inside, right? And the bars are open and, you know, in restaurants hotels and everything. So people are still going to be congregating uh, inside. And I think you're really right that there's been a huge relaxation of mask wearing uh, in the city because we've been given the message, right, that massive music festivals are okay. So therefore, why would you be concerned about uh, masking up? We're, you know, we're over the hump of the pandemic. Well, this virus has probably a different opinion of where we're at because it doesn't care about, you know, what we, if we want to, if we have a contract with Live Nation that we need to, you know, pay off these massive music festival companies and uh, produce uh, show producers and everything to stage this concert in July, you know, it's not, we're not even waiting. All these other festivals are in September, late September, um, kind of 
planned out so that we could have a real sense of where we're at with the pandemic. But uh, our administration in this city has decided that we could go ahead with Lollapalooza. So I don't blame people for um, feeling a little bit more relaxed around it. I think the other difference with New York is, you know, that was really ground zero for um, the, the early, in the early days of the pandemic, especially in Queens and, in, you know, in outer borough areas where, uh, you know, death rates were just spiking and they really saw the darkest side of, uh, of COVID-19. And I'm, so I'm not shocked that they're um, taking more precautions now as a result as we see cases going up. The, the problem is, you know, you can mask up, right? But if you're vaccinated, even the experts say the issue is not so much that people that are vaccinated need to be wearing masks. That's going to have less of an uh, impact. It's that we need to get more people vaccinated and that we need to not have vaccinated and unvaccinated people congregating in the same spaces. So that's where something, you know, if you're in your neighborhood and you're in a place where there's like an 80% vaccination rate or higher, which is true in much of New York, mask wearing is not going to make a huge difference. Where it would make a difference is it's something like Lollapalooza or, you know, other big gatherings where you have a lot of people coming together and you don't know whether people are actually spreading uh, the disease or not. So unfortunately, I think all of this mixed messaging is really giving um, bad advice to people and it's not dealing with uh, the issue from a public health perspective as much as from an economic one. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, and that is a very good point that you made about New York uh, was hit harder than Chicago uh, in many ways. I think you're, you're, you're absolutely uh, on point with that one. Uh, one of the other things about New York uh, the, that's happening is both the governor, Cuomo, uh, and the mayor, uh, Bill de Blasio, are, if they haven't already implemented uh, mandates for employees to um, get vaccinated, they're uh, talking about doing it. And of course, we're not doing that, talking about that in Chicago yet, because as I said, that would be the biggest, hugest mixed message of them all to be talking about every cop and firefighter and garbage collector and teacher has to have a vaccine. Oh, by the way, Come rock and roll uh, and at Lollapalooza. Uh, what is your thoughts, uh, your opinion about mandating vaccines for employees? I think there's a real issue of employers having power over their workers, you know, in the workplace. And that's a legitimate issue, and it's why... Uh, workers form unions so that they can have a collective voice on the job. And so the fact that um, some of these unions are voicing displeasure at the concept of a mandate, um, on one level, it makes sense because you don't want to be forced, you know, by an employer, by any outside entity to um, make changes in your life uh, due to their demands or their whims. The flip side of that is by not requiring employees to get vaccinated, you're also having power over their lives because you're therefore putting uh, workers in a position where they are in the same settings as unvaccinated 
people and potentially contracting and spreading the virus. And I would argue that that's more of a danger to uh, uh, to workers than uh, asking them to get uh, vaccinated or requiring them to either get back, you know, because these mandates, they are, they're not saying you have to get vaccinated. You have to either get vaccinated or follow different protocols, which includes testing, masking, and, you know, isolating uh, ostensibly if you contract the virus. Um, that, I think, is a fair-minded approach to this, you know, is because people should be doing that. The issue I have is that what the Biden administration could be doing, because you're right that this is being talked about at the state level in New York, but it's also being argued uh, nationally around federal workers. You know, the Biden administration has proposed at least uh, uh, the mandates for federal workers. Well, the Biden administration also refused to follow through on an OSHA rule, you know, for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration that uh, is supposed to protect workers that would have put in place a whole bunch of regulations around uh, workplaces that would include things like distancing and masking and other um, elements to keep people safe on the job. So if you're not going to, you know, have OSHA be putting forward these rules, then it does put it just on employers to decide how they're going to uh, operate. And I think that that is a mixed message in itself. And the other thing is that, you know, what what we could be doing is, because if you read these articles about uh, employees and even unions voicing displeasure around the mandate, one issue that they have is that it's just not convenient. You know, when the, in the recent New York Times story on it, one guy just said, I am lazy, so I haven't gotten the vaccine. Well, in that case, I mean, it's brutal honesty there. In that case, we should be uh, sending on mobile on-site vaccination centers to these workplaces and just making it uh, far more available. I think that that would be um, a better approach. But no, no matter what, if our goal is to defeat this virus, um, actually defeat it, allow it not to be able to mutate and become more, even more transmissible, even more dangerous and deadly, then we have to end the epidemic of uh, vaccine refusal that has taken over uh, much of this country, you know, and, and be able to uh, get to a point where there's much like smallpox, much like uh, many other diseases we've been able to crush throughout the years that we get enough of our population vaccinated that this virus can no longer survive or spread. Vaccine refusal. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard it phrased that way. Maybe that's a, a phraseology that I've just missed, but man, it sums it all up. Uh, and you and I were talking about this briefly, uh, before we went on the air and love for you to share some of your thoughts. Cause, uh, Miles surprised me. He knows quite a bit, uh, about, um, vaccine refusal, the roots of vaccine refusal. Uh, so much of it is, and just sort of the hostility and disbelief about government in general. Uh, some of it based on real things, some of it based on not so real things. So, uh, Miles, why don't you just uh, give us a, you know, a, a little education on vaccine refusal, this notion that there's something dangerous about the vaccination uh, that our government is uh, urging us to get. So one of the most incredible feats, I think, in modern human history was uh, what I mentioned earlier, the defeat of the smallpox virus. Uh, smallpox, you know, it killed almost a third of the people that would get infected with it, and others would have horrible, horrible health outcomes. And it was a virus that spread uh, 
across the world and you know decimated whole populations. And in the 1970s, the global community, largely at that time the U.S. and the Soviet Union, um, committed to through the World Health Organization running a massive vaccine operation to defeat uh, the virus. And they succeeded, you know, by the I think it was the late 70s when there was the last reported case of a you know just spread of of smallpox. The uh, there is also a, been because of that effort, there was a lot of, uh, as you might imagine, you know, people start to spin yarns, and uh, because of how it was uh, approached, because both the Soviet Union and the U.S. obviously had some geopolitical interests in uh, getting involved in helping smaller nations, especially across Africa, with uh, with smallpox outbreaks, they considered it to be part of a, a grander scheme, you know, some type of a colonialist grab, but then on the farther reaches, even more of a kind of nefarious plot to, to do other things. So many on the you know, conspiracy side of our society uh, started to say things like, actually, the vaccines were a way to spread the AIDS virus. And that was specifically uh, pushed by somebody named Bill Cooper, who wrote a book called Be- Behold the Pale Horse that some folks, listeners might know, came out in 1991. And it's kind of a Rosetta Stone or a Magna Carta for like the modern conspiracy movement. It's got, you know, JFK in there. It's got all kinds. Of, kind of, he actually believes that JFK was murdered by his driver because JFK was covering up uh, uh, aliens and that he was going to release it and that they wouldn't, you know, allow it. And the aliens had worked with the Trilateral Commission. So, you know, it's, it's, it's out there stuff, but I think there was actually an X-Files uh, episode that kind of stole that. But that but but that's the kind of stuff that was out there. And you'll look, I mean, if you look up this guy, he's, you know, wingnut, obviously, he's passed away now. Um, but it is it, all over popular culture, especially in, uh, in, in rap music and even in country music. There's so many references to Bill Cooper in this, the old a pale horse uh, theory. And that held that, especially in countries like South Africa, that actually governments were infecting their populations with uh, HIV in order to uh, control the population, essentially. And uh, he believed, you know, he wrote in the book that by 2000, the world would be overrun, and that's why they were running this experiment. Obviously, that didn't come true, but it fits in with the same worldview that a lot of modern-day conspiracy theorists hold. But the issue is just that that doesn't... um, it doesn't just exist in the conspiracist community. It starts to leak out into, into other ways. So if you, you know, listen to some rap music, whether it's, you know, Nas or Wu-Tang Clan or something, you'll hear people reference, you'll hear them referencing Bill Cooper and Behold the Pale Horse, and it start, people start to think it. And as you said, there's some legitimacy. I mean, if you look at the Tuskegee experiment around syphilis, uh, there are reasons for communities of color to be apprehensive about um, government vaccines. Uh, that said... There's no, uh, there's no proof at all that this COVID vaccine, there's no evidence in the slightest that it has anything to do with a nefarious plot. And in fact, you know, you look at the smallpox vaccine, it crushed smallpox. That's, as I said, one of the most incredible feats in all of human history. And right now we're doing something similar with COVID-19 and the fact that it's springing back to life all these old um, conspiracies or, or conspiracy theories around um, the vaccine being tool of government uh, oppression is 
you know, it's history not exactly repeating itself, but certainly rhyming uh, with, with itself. And what the only way to confront that, I think, is by pushing back and making sure that people can see the positive outcomes of these vaccines. You know, what we hear about in the news is really important because people, especially in the early days of the vaccine, were just hearing about side effects and that became dominant in our conversations around it. Whereas the, you know, 99.9% of people that don't get side effects, they're not really written about, you know, we don't, in media, we don't cover the planes that don't crash, as they say, you know, it's very rare we get um, stories about positive news events. Um, And I think that that's a problem because this vaccine has been so effective that people want to focus on the wild uh, conspiracies around it being a source of government control. And you'll hear, you know, it's the QAnon community, it's the, you know, Alex Jones and all of that. But then there's also Fox News, which is the most widely watched cable uh, 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 network. And they're still, you know, Tucker Carlson and people, they're still spouting the same kind of toxic anti-vaccine rhetoric um, that is at least slightly informed by that more um, really evil uh, conspiracism that, that that exists out there. And it's, I think it has poisoned the well for a lot of people. So even if you're not, you know, diehard Trump supporter, Fox News viewer, you might still be getting these messages of the vaccines are actually uh, some part of, yeah, a, a, a secret plot for despotic rule or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so unfortunately, it's a legacy that still lives with us today. I part of it, and I'm going to get into the Fox thing. I want to make a note to ask you about it. Uh, and uh, but just part of listening to you, part of what uh, you're describing is just a general apprehension about government. And uh, I have it. Every, I mean, you know this. So many people tease me about it after all these years of living in Chicago and writing about Chicago politics. And it was on full display with me at the outset of our conversation where I talked about the mixed message of Chicago's leaders regarding the virus, potential pandemic resurging and Lollapalooza. And so after what's 40 years of watching the inconsistencies of Chicago's leaders and the mixed messages they send, and the hypocrisies that are on full display all the time in this city on everything from how we spend our money to how we police, et cetera, and so forth. I really have a hard time accepting at face value anything my government tells me. So I understand the general apprehension. On the other hand, for some reason, maybe I'm, I'm... searching uh, for help from you, uh, therapeutic help that you can't deliver. But uh, for some reason, I don't distrust the medical community when it comes to something as widespread as the consensus on the vaccine. Do you follow what I'm saying? So when Lori Lightfoot says, uh, if you're coming to Chicago from Arkansas, sit for two weeks in a room, be, quarantine yourself. But, oh, by the way, <laughs> go to Lollapalooza. I, I go, man, that's that Jaws, the mayor from Jaws thing where they, you know, they're worried about the Chamber of Commerce. But I don't carry that apprehension. Do you struggle with the same conflicting 
notions that on one hand you trust there's certain elements of the establishment that you trust miles and then there's certain elements that you don't trust sure i am constantly questioning you know the things that our leaders say and it's one of the reasons that political leaders might not be the best messengers honestly for uh covid vaccine i mean the political leaders they're they're running this vaccination effort but they didn't create the vaccines or anything you know um the scientific community did uh, which we helped pay for and subsidize through our public tax dollars but we've been vaccinated against all kinds of things you know you get vaccinated against measles and mumps and you know all these things it's, it strikes me just uh as odd that we're i mean i realize that i think one element is that the fda has not fully approved the covid vaccine yet and, you know it's under emergency approval it looks like probably by uh september they'll give full authorization and that might you know ease some people's concerns um and it just hasn't been studied for a long time so i think there is some valid fears of uh, of long-term effects but you know those fears existed with other vaccines when they were uh, rolling them out for all kinds of diseases in the past and you know i can't think of a single one that had uh, horrible effects and had to be recalled or anything like that and you know going to public schools getting into you know uh certain jobs you you already have to show proof of vaccination so um i think there's less i think the the, the corporate corruption and the influence of um business and capital over our government is far more of a concern um, and a really rational uh, concern to have and to make you question the decision-making of your government and your leadership. And I think Lollapalooza is a perfect example of that. You know, it's not about trying to trick the population necessarily into doing something that's going to pollute their bodies or something. It's a plot, it's a ploy to get a bunch of money from, you know, a concert. And that is like happens all the time. So you, you should be suspicious of that. Um, I consider that in kind of a different category, I guess, than um, questions about this vaccine. That said, I mean, I'm generally a skeptical person. So I'm always, I'm always questioning stuff. That said, I was, uh, you know, as soon as my number came up, I went right down to the United <laughs> Center and got a shot in my arm. So you got it. You know, I think I knew you got it. United Center. You, you thought that if you got it, the United Center it might improve your basketball playing somehow or other. Uh, they, that would be the conspiracy that you. No, uh, the the um, the corporate mindset is something completely different. Uh, and you're right. Watching the corporate mindset at play and the way they deal with potential conflicts that uh, they always go in on behalf of what will make money. So I'm just thinking of the uh, Lollapalooza excitement. Crane Chicago Business, the local business publication in the city of Chicago, which is just about as much of a flag waiver for capitalism as you'll find anywhere, uh, had this one breathless article not too long ago about pot sales going up. I think that's the word they call the pot sales Could, would be going up because of Lollapalooza and the, the, this, the legal salesman or, or just salivating. And I read, I just, I got to tell you, Miles, I just shook my head. It's like they were, Cranes was absolutely worthless in the war against the war on drugs. And they were just, it just was not an issue to them that so many black people getting thrown in jail and 
being processed for spoken reefer or whatever, selling it or hold, just possessing it. But now that it's legal and <laughs> some corporations making money out of it, they're so excited about Lollapalooza increasing reefer sales, sales of cannabis. And who cares about the pandemic, man? Cannabis sales should go for the roof. Miles, I could truly, I understand why people turn to conspiracy theories, what we call conspiracy theories, because the BS they feed you on a regular basis is just so nauseating and so obviously contaminated. That's hard to believe. I agree. I agree. And I've long said, you know, in the war on drugs, I've long been on the side of drugs uh, <laughs> in, that, in that war. <laughs> That's <laughs> so. And, and I know Cranes has been on the other side. But you're right. Now that they're making money, it's like, okay, whatever. Well, <laughs> or are they, live on. Or they, yeah. Be, yeah. I don't actually think that um, they care one way or another about uh, what happens in terms of the uh, criminal justice aspects of, of, you know, changing our policies around marijuana. They could, you know, expungement or, you know, uh, any kind of reform or rehabilitation. They could, you know, the folks at Cranes or the Chamber of Commerce or any of these places, they couldn't care less about uh that side of the thing. That's why it's lucky we have actual champions, you know, in the state legislature and city council that are demanding that there be some uh, social justice elements around all of these policies because they just, they, they sense money. You know, they look around and see what's happening in California, what's happening in Colorado, other places, and it's just been a huge financial boon. I mean, there looks like we're going to go over the projections. Um, same for sports betting, too. Um, once we legalize these things, it does open up new uh, channels of money, and commerce is the name of the game for um, for the ones people that are benefiting off of it, which are the very people that are working in in, the, in these industries. So, being suspect of that, of course, I mean, I think that that is just part of being like you know, uh, actual questioning member of society is to see like where follow the money, you know, and like who is pulling the strings on this stuff. And you, if you start looking, of course you'll find that there are actors uh, at play that don't have our interests at heart. Um, but that's still a far cry from going to like aliens murder JFK. You know, I think you could even raise questions about what happened with the government and JFK. But once you go out into that territory, it's like you're just, it's new world order stuff, right? And that is kind of a totalizing uh, idea of, you know, we can name the real enemies. There's these secret forces at play. I'm always like, they're not so secret, you know, that we want to look at the companies that are polluting our water. Look at ExxonMobil, you know, look at the look at the fossil fuel companies that have openly bragged about um, taking advantage of uh, human life and, and putting it in peril in order to boost their profits. Like That stuff is available. And that's, I think, what we should be uh, focusing on, you know, if you want to read about wild government stuff, don't read Behold a Pale Horse, read like The Devil's Chessboard by David Talbot about Alan Dulles and the history of the CIA or the Jakarta Method about the U.S. role in Indonesia. Like there's all kinds of stuff that is real and legitimate that we have uh, proof on, you know, that is not, you don't need to fall into the, you know, everything is a secret 
plot and we can never really understand it because you know it's been hidden to a hidden by us because everybody's a pedophile or something you know that and and, and too often i think it's easier to jump into that way of thinking because then you can never interact with it. You know, it's like something beyond your control. And so it's just fun to read about or study or like all the cute people say, kind of sit back and enjoy the show. Um, I think that that's a debilitating approach to politics and life, you know, and if you want to um, actually produce a better world, you know, and have a positive outcome in life, you've got to name enemies that you can actually counter and that you can, you know, fight back against. And so that's why I think it's important that when we talk about this stuff, we're clear about what's actually going on. Uh, earlier, you made a reference to Fox, and I took a, I jotted it down, and Tucker Carlson and the role they played in um, sort of uh, exciting or uh, the uh, anti-vax crowd, uh, and I, I, I am. This is where my skepticism uh, in, uh, about uh, human behavior comes in because I view uh, Fox as a corporation that um, has money-making uh, motivations, obviously. And so I think it's very cynical on their part. They see that's where their audience is. They're going to where their audience is. Uh, if the audience changed, they would change. And so that's my theory. I'm, I wonder what your thoughts on this. If Donald Trump, who's the leader of MAGA and the most popular single public official, I'd say, in the, the Fox universe, uh, were to suddenly decide that was it was in his best interest to champion uh, taking, um, getting immunized, getting a shot, because he could then claim that he was the man who killed the pandemic. And so he started urging MAGA to get the shot. Don't you think that Tucker Carlson and Fox News would do a 180 and suddenly be urging everyone to take the shot? Yeah, I do. I think that's already kind of happening, not with Trump, but rather with um, other Republicans because they're starting to see economic impacts, right? Because, the biggest, I mean, the big lie obviously was that the election was stolen. But there was another big lie going on, which was during the um, whole period of the worst of the pandemic, uh, which was that the reason that uh, our economy was in the gutter was because it was shut down by Democrats. And that Democrats were the ones that, you know, destroyed any economic progress because they made up this fake you know, crisis around the COVID-19. What actually happened, if you look at the data, is people didn't go to restaurants or bars or places and where, when it was actually, you know, rapidly spreading, when people were getting sick, when ICU beds were getting filled, uh, you know, when hospitals were overrun. And before the pandemic, or I'm sorry, before the vaccine was available, that was hitting blue areas just as hard as it was red areas, often more so because they're more cosmopolitan, they're more major cities. Well, now the pandemic is localized in these deep red uh, areas because that's where there's been the highest levels of vaccine refusal, which has been urged on by Fox and you know the GOP and their brethren. Um, and that's impact even without lock so so called lockdowns. It's impacting their economies because people are freaked out about going out and doing 
you know, normal everyday activities when they see the hospitals getting full. And that's happening in, in, you know, in, in places in Florida, certainly in um, Tennessee and Louisiana. So um, that's why you're starting to see people like Mitch McConnell say, oh, get vaccinated. You know, he's putting money into pro-vaccine ads all of a sudden. You're seeing certain Fox hosts, not Tucker Carlson, uh, interestingly, but other Fox hosts make a big deal out of getting vaccinated. And I think it's because they're starting to feel the pressure of what happens, you know, when it's their community, their, you know, viewers, their um, constituents, what have you, that are being more uh, heavily impacted and that it's, it, it, it's hitting their bottom line. So I think we're already starting to see a little bit of that change. But you're right. Of course, Trump hasn't done that yet. He started actually right when Biden came into office. He made a big deal about like, I made this vaccine. It's all me. I'm not getting enough credit for it. And then he kind of backed off of that. And then he was just like, what, a, you know, I'm not going to get credit for it. So I'm just going to try to, make, you know, trash it or whatever. And so that's what, uh, you know, Tucker and all these people have been following uh, behind. But you're right. Like if he decided if he had a switch go up in his head and said, hey, I could run in 2024 off of being the vaccine guy. Maybe that would. Uh, change the game, but I don't think we should hold our breath for that. No, I'm not. I'm not holding my breath on it uh, at all, uh, because I do believe that Donald Trump is deranged, and so you can't really anticipate what he's going to do uh, at any given time, and you can't certainly uh, depend on it. That's for certain. So, like tomorrow, he could wake up and say, "Take the vaccine," and then the next day, he could drop it. You and I had conversations, I remember this, that uh, period was either, I think it was right after the election, where Donald Trump, uh, I do believe, was losing his mind, uh, and he was, he obviously, he didn't think he lost the election, or he was proclaiming that he didn't think he lost the election, so he's still acting like he was president, and you, if, do you recall, there was that moment where he was champ, championing, raising the amount of money people would get. Uh, from as an allowance from the government, uh, he goes. That's not enough money. And the deal that was cut between uh, the the Democrats and the Republicans, he put into jeopardy by saying it uh, it wasn't enough money. I, I know it was you. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was you that we. I, I was having the conversation with like Donald Trump. Just from his just general derangement, could become a great champion of Bernie Sanders like progressivity. Uh, if we're <laughs> for no other reason than just because he hated Mitch McConnell, you know, and he could probably get Republicans to sign on to it. And then if like, to your point, he, he hadn't, he dropped his, he, at that thing, I think that lasted for one day, if anything, you know what I mean? And he lost interest. And, uh, so uh, yeah, I don't believe we can depend on Donald Trump to be an agent of anything for good. Uh, but, I do believe that if he a uh, one week of Donald Trump championing the uh, uh, the vaccine might change Tucker Carlson just one week, uh, you know. That's, I wish we could do that as just like an experiment, Miles. Um, all right, let's uh, move on. And uh, a couple of things I want to ask you about before uh, we get to sports. My sports question: People uh, may not realize Miles is a huge basketball fan. Uh, locally in Chicago, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, announced the other day or uh, gave an interview the other day where she said she's ambivalent hasn't haven't made hasn't made up her mind as to whether she's going to run for re-election as mayor of the city of chicago and uh that election is not till the year 2023 so we're a little ways off but uh 
in the political cycle, we're kind of in that moment where if you're going to run, you got to start thinking about it. Uh, and so she, when she made that announcement, I'm sure there was a lot of people in Chicago uh, thinking about suddenly, well, she doesn't run. Uh, should I run? I tend to be absolutely skeptical about anything a Chicago mayor says. Uh, so I'm going to withhold my skepticism for a moment and get your thoughts on this. Uh, when Lori Lightfoot says, I don't really know if I'm going to run for re-election, do you believe her? No, I think she's definitely going to run for re-election. I think it's you know clear as day. I, I, when people in power don't tend to want to give up power, and uh, certainly not when they think they can still succeed or at least be popular. Um, that could change. You know, all kinds of things can happen over the course of the next few years. But um, right now, I think it's pretty clear that there's uh, she's, she's going to be in the race and she's going to be the favorite to win and she's going to need uh, a real challenger to, be, to, to, to face uh, actual possibility of not being uh, the mayor in 2023. And right now there isn't, you know, a clear left wing challenger or right wing challenger. You know, it's, if the board is un, you know, we, we just don't know who's going to um, take up the mantle of being the real champion of, you know, the non Lori Lightfoot basically. And I think you've already seen her change her approach a little bit. You know, she still is, being very hardline with her staff and defending how she writes those wild memos and stuff like that. Like she's definitely taking a page out of, I don't want to, you know, compare her to Donald Trump. Obviously I think that she, you know, a much uh, more egalitarian politician in a lot of ways, but her, um, her way of never apologizing or admitting any wrong is straight out of Trump's book, you know, which is learned from Ray Cohn and all these people. It's like the number one rule in politics is just never apologize or admit you did anything wrong. Um, and I think she's probably continuing with that. But that said, just look at what's happened in these past few weeks. You know, we got this um, business uh, ordinance passed that had a lot of uh, pro-worker elements to it, including fair scheduling, something that, you know, labor activists have been fighting for for a long time. She ended up agreeing to uh, uh, negotiate and then pass an elected police board, which is, you know, you could criticize it, but it's certainly the most far-reaching um, civilian police accountability uh, policy in the, in the country. Um, and so I think you're starting to see her trying to uh, triangulate a little bit, for lack of a better word, you know, be able to show some progressive bona fides or at least fulfilling some uh, campaign promises. And because I think a big element of that, to be honest, was the elected school board. I think she didn't think that that was going to happen. And when Springfield went ahead and passed, and Pritzker, I don't believe, has actually signed the bill yet, but it has passed over her uh, objections. And I think even though that was something the state legislature did, I think it showed she doesn't want to be seen as opposing one of her campaign promises, right? And that is what it's going to end up being if that bill does get signed, as Pritzker says he's going to do, because she fought it. You know, she fought it so hard against having an elected school board when that's something that she ran on. So um, I think that that maybe humbled her some, or at least she saw the political calculus of like, I probably shouldn't be against all the things I campaigned on. And that might change some of her 
uh, of how she operates. That said, we'll see what happens. I mean, we didn't expect Rahm Emanuel to not run for uh, mayor in 2019. It was a pretty big shock when he decided not to. That said, he was scandal plagued, right? Because he still was suffering political consequences from the Laquan McDonald video that he um, held back from release that was released like weeks after that election in 2015. It still scarred him four years later. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens regarding you know, any potential scandals, whether it's around policing or any other issue in the city that could change the, the calculus. But yeah, for right now, I think we should assume, much like J.B. Pritzker will be running for another term for governor, that Lori Lightfoot will be on the ballot in 2023. I, uh, I wrote down what you said. I'm going to uh, steal it. May or may not give you credit for it. Uh, I'll be using it. Uh, so it's 50-50 whether I'll give you credit. Uh, people in power don't want to I'll know power. either way. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He'll know. I'll know. That's all that matters to me. <laughs> so it's 50-50 whether I give the person credit for the... Uh, but no, people it's, in power don't want to give a It's so true. And the only reason I'm convinced that Rom gave up power is because he knew he was going to lose. Uh, or he had a strong sense that he was going to lose and um uh, it would have been really embarrassing uh, for him and he didn't want to go through that that's my my guess um uh, people in power don't want to give it you know, i don't but i had a smile i think it's a this is a new thing and you could steal this line and use it for all you want uh it's a um <laughs> Although this is just so me, I don't know if you would ever want to use it, but uh, it's this new thing I noticed with Pritzker, like, ah, uh, the indecision, do I want to run again? So that everybody, please run. Oh, all right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, because <laughs> the bag, well, you know, if you deny somebody something, then they want it more. You know what I'm saying? So like, well, maybe I won't run. Huh? Try that one on Chicago, like in the Chicago. It's no run. So it could be a little that too. Uh, who knows? I um, I also if I I I I'm excited. I, I I have a feeling that if we start, you know, looking if you know if Mayor Lightfoot does decide to run again, we look at the campaign contributions. I would not be shocked if there is some money from Live Nation, the you know Lollapalooza's uh, production company. Going, going straight to uh, her campaign coffers. That's that, that's all I'll say about about that. Uh, yeah, no, and Pritzker too with the Lollapalooza. They both said we're going to go to Lollapalooza. It wasn't it enough that they allow it to happen. They're going to go to Lollapalooza. I'm going to tell you right now. This is the skeptic. There's not one band of Lollapalooza that Lori Lightfoot or JP Pritzker like. JP, you already said your favorite bands are the Eagles and Steve Miller. You said that in the campaign. I can guarantee you the Eagles and the Steve Miller band will not be a Lollapalooza this year. And Lori Lightfoot, your favorite group is your favorite singer is Todd Rundgren. Guarantee he's not going to be. So who are you kidding? <laughs> Chicago was Lily. Yep, Mayor. We have. Oh God, I've I've well I've been to Lollapalooza and it sucks. So I, uh, you know, I mean. You get, it's just a terrible thing. I mean, you know, you, maybe you'll see a good band here or there or something, but man, it's a it's a bad scene out there. And if I can just say real quick, I watched. I was telling you this earlier. I watched this documentary on HBO all about Woodstock '99, um, which was a very dark moment in 
American pop culture. And I think showed the real rot, the cultural rot at the heart of much of the culture at that time of just straight machismo and sexism, and you know, misogyny and uh, just showing your anger, basically being what was cool. And what happened is that they ended up, I mean, for one thing, they put the show on at an Air Force base uh, in New York, which is with like crazy locking gates, which was already a, a, a wild decision. But then they had bands like Limp Bizkit come and say, you know, break stuff and, uh, you know, tear this place apart, let, let out all your negative energy. And they did. And they ripped down, you know, the structures and set huge fires and the... Um, uh, there was there, some people passed away, but there was also a lot of assaults. It was a really uh, horrendous situation. And look who's playing Saturday night at Lollapalooza right after this hellish pandemic year when COVID is still circulating. We've got Limp Bizkit on the bill for Lollapalooza for Saturday night. What are we thinking? It just <laughs> seems like how do you yeah. how, how, how can you think that that's going to be a positive? Anything good will come of that. Yeah, well, that was, well, I don't know. I don't know how anybody thinks they can get All right. Uh, folks may not know this, uh, uh, but Miles is a huge basketball fan. And uh, right now, the USA basketball team in the Olympics is uh, struggling, to put it mildly. They lost two exhibition games, which I watched each of them. They lost uh, to Australia, and they lost to uh, uh, Nigeria. Uh I'm slowly becoming a big fan of the Nigerian team. I really like that Mike Brown is their coach. Uh, and then they opened uh, the actual Olympic play by losing to France. And uh, just your sense of things, uh, Miles. Uh, these are all NBA players on the team. There's not one college player. on Even the Dream Team had one college player. Uh, and uh, so what do you make of this? Uh, the USA is... Well, the um, Dream Team, this is not... <laughs> yeah unfortunately is it uh what, what's, um, what's the larger trend going on here well i would say that it has likely has to do with the fact the nba season just wrapped up and players have been these players have been run ragged you know they've been playing a lot of them were in the playoffs um going through injuries i mean the nba season is so punishing especially you know this year right after the bubble pandemic i think it's just you know players are not in a good way and there was no real training camp you know a lot of these players have just never played together and so they end up doing just iso ball and they can't uh you know actually compete against teams many of which are you know more used to playing together many of them are more well rested um the flip side of that is that Luka Doncic, I saw on the Slovenian team, just scored 48 points in a game and has just been killing it. So, And he just played a whole you know, year of NBA basketball, and somehow he's doing okay and not winded. So I don't know. Maybe they don't have as much of an excuse uh, <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm giving them there. But, yeah, I think it has to do with the fact that they're, you know, they just didn't, they don't have, and, and hey, Tibbs isn't coaching this time, right? I'm pretty sure Tibbs <laughs> is on there. Last time around, we had... Coach K and Tibbs, I think, that were uh, that were running the <laughs> ship, and and Derek Rose, I think, I think he played in the last in the in the last Olympics, so maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, I think you're wait, right. Well, I think I Derek wanna, Rose. I, yeah, go ahead. Where I think he was. Saying? Yeah, I think he was on the team. I want to get your thoughts though. What do you think? And did you get up at like seven a.m. or whatever to watch that French the the game against France? No, I did, I did not, not get up uh, to watch the uh, game uh, against France. I saw it. 
Uh, I, may, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I get every morning uh, updates from the NBA. I'm obsessive. I have issues. Basketball fan that's just becoming more and more intense as I grow older. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that's all about, Miles. Something I should discuss with the therapist. But um, uh, yeah, so I saw that they lost. I'm not upset about it. Um, like I said, my heart is sort of with the Nigerian team uh, in this current. I really enjoy that team when I watch them play the U.S. I, I'm just a part of me thinks that um, it's the obvious uh, that point that basketball has become an international game, uh, and that you you hit on this that in many ways uh, a, a smaller country where there's fewer great players. So all the great players are on one team and have been playing together for 15 years. will have certain advantages uh, over an all-star team, an assemblage where every single player thinks he's a superstar and wants a certain amount of playing time. And, uh, you know, they don't play like a team. So I think there's we're seeing um, some of that. And uh, so I don't make anything. I don't think it's like the the end of U.S. civilization as we know it. I take it as a, a hopeful sign, actually. Uh, and uh, but I did get a kick yeah, out of the rest the fact. of the world. Yes, the rest I, I, the rest of the world is doing is doing good. I think that that's something to, to celebrate. And you know, Giannis is uh, is Greek. You know, our finals MVP Giannis is Anadokounmpo is not playing on. Uh, team USA. Neither is LeBron James, arguably, you know, the best basketball player of our generation. He's out here promoting Space Jam, not. Uh, not <laughs> yeah, on yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. AD's not on the team either. So I, I just think it's. Um, I have. I don't say it as a negative sign. I just notice it's like times are changing, man. And they. Uh, you're right. This is not the dream team. I. Uh, I don't even know if we could ever have a dream team again. You know, the dream team was put together and then they had that whole summer to prepare for the Olympics because national pride was at stake. And if you remember, uh, Miles, at that time, the U.S. had lost in 88 and it was uh, they got drubbed in the Olympics in 88. And now they go, all right, we're going to let our best players play. It was just the college. Forget the college kids. And they they really had this mentality of we got to prove something and then. They put this great team together and they just thrashed everybody. And I get the feeling now it's sort of, you're right. It's like an endless season between the bubble and now. And this is just one more thing to check off. But I try to be optimistic and look on the bright side. We'll close by this. I do believe it's a good sign. If, if I think of promoting basketball as a healthy thing, that so many great players are from outside the United States uh, and that, that French team was good, by the way. It was it was not like some joke team. They had uh, Rudy Gobert, best defensive player in the NBA, or one of the best defensive players in the NBA on that team. And uh, Fournier was uh, he, Fournier, yeah. Fournier, the the Boston Celtics shooter. So, you know, uh, I'm taking it as a hopeful sign, Miles. Things are getting better because more people are playing basketball. That's the hopeful side. I think that's how I'm going to close the show, hey, Miles. I love it. We, you know, uh, I think basketball pride over national pride is a is a fine way to you know approach the game because you know it's gonna it just makes it more fun. They're still coming to the NBA to play. I mean, we still have the uh, 
greatest you know league for basketball. So, um, and for those of us who like to watch the games, that's 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 the best. And so let's get a little moment of confession for Miles to sh- to show what a basketball fanatic he is. Miles, where did you watch Game Six? of the championship uh, series, Bucks versus Phoenix Suns, Milwaukee Bucks versus Phoenix Suns. Where did you watch it? Did you watch it from the comfort of your living room TV screen? I was lucky enough to, um, I have a, a good buddy named Jeff Gropner. Shout out to Jeff. Uh, he born and raised in the great city of Milwaukee and lives in Chicago now and kind of a game time decision. Hopped in the car drove on up, did the, you know, a couple miles across state line through Kenosha, went to a Rocky Rococo's, which is a local pizza chain, uh, stopped and got a Rocky Rococo's uh, on the way, went to the Nomad in, uh, right outside on, on Brady Street, right outside of downtown Milwaukee, watched the games with some Wild Bucks fans, and man, that city was hyped about their team taking the title. I got to say, I took a video, I'll show it to you sometime, Ben, of the, like, the last few seconds and the, you know, the game the video, and then you just see the fireworks going off. People are just in ecstasy. I mean, I had, I had dual feelings. I, I love the sport and I love to see people excited about it, but it just made me think, man, when and when are we going to get this in Chicago? <laughs> for the when? Ever? Well. Again? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. But definitely not. I'm really uncertain about my lifetime. You're a lot younger than me, so maybe your lifetime. Uh, you'll be old like me now. You'll, be, you'll get your next Bulls champions. By the way, this is uh, we'll close on promoting this. Uh, we'll be doing an NBA show post-draft, probably drag Miles onto that. No political discussion allowed, uh, just straight basketball with a bunch of geeks. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, Miles, thank you so much for taking the time to talk politics with, with me and, uh, stay safe and sound. All right. Thank you. Always good to be here, Ben. All right. Very good. That's Miles Conflason. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. wondered how to say good morning in Italian or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.